Amen. Well, for our reading this morning, we're turning back to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading at verse 21, Mark chapter 1. Today's the last day. We'll be in Mark chapter 1. By the end of the day, we'll be finished in this chapter before we take a little break from Mark's Gospel over the Advent season and pick it up again in the new year. But Mark chapter 1 and verse 21 is where we're beginning our reading this morning. And this is what God's Word says. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing... You can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, turn back to Mark chapter 1 and pray uh, together as we go there. Father, we know your word is right when it says, Blessed are those who keep your statutes and seek you with all their heart. They do no wrong. 
but follow your ways. Please would you speak to us this morning that we might keep your word, that we might seek you and follow in the steps of the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we all have priorities, don't we? Things that we put our energies into. Things for us that are more important than other things. We devote our time and our energies and our finances even and efforts to to particular things that we feel need our attention. The way we make decisions is influenced by what we think our priorities should be. I wonder what are your priorities in your life uh, this morning as you come uh, to this place. But then what about when it comes to the church? What as far as uh, you see it should be the priority of the church, universal, across the world. But for our purposes this morning, what should be the priority of this church, of Bethel in Gesinem? You could answer that in many ways. That would be a great conversation to have over tea and coffee uh, later on, maybe. But this morning, I want us to make sure that our answer to that question reflects the priorities of Jesus Christ. Do we share the same priority that Jesus had when he walked on this earth? So far in Mark's Gospel, we've begun to see who Jesus is, haven't we? He is the good news. He is the Saviour. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God who has come to identify with us in our weakness as sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, as well as coming to destroy the works of the devil. You've seen him begin his ministry by preaching good news, calling his first disciples and driving out an impure spirit from a man in the synagogue at Capernaum. And so in many ways, Mark is still setting out the scene of who this Jesus is. And this morning, we'll see what it is that Jesus really is here to do in his ministry. And so far, already in a short space of time, we've already seen Jesus do some amazing things, haven't we? But what is his focus? Is it healing? Is it preaching? What is the priority of Jesus. Well, I want us to see in verses 29 to 39 of Mark 1 this morning the, the priority of Jesus so that we might follow in his steps and share his priority too. And so then, let's firstly see in verses 29 to 34 the priority of compassion. The priority of compassion is what we see first as Jesus heals many there in these verses. So let's see that in in the passage as that same Saturday that Jesus had taught with authority and driven out a demon in the synagogue, the five of them go to Simon and uh, Andrew's house. So we're still in Capernaum as the news of Jesus is quickly spreading over the region. And when they get to Simon and Andrew's house, we find that Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. Given what they'd just seen Jesus do in the synagogue, you can see why they would tell him about her, can't you? It's very understandable. She had probably been like this for a little while, struggling with a fever, and they would have been concerned for her. So they told Jesus about her. What a great thing to do to tell Jesus about her. They take their worry for her to him. And so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. It's as simple as that. Mark doesn't bother us with the fine details of what kind of fever was it, 
What was the nature of it? Why did she have it in the first place? No, Mark's concern is to firmly show us Jesus Christ and, and how wonderful he is. And so here we have clearly emphasized the, the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the healer. He really is all-sufficient. There's, there's no spells here, no special phrases to repeat. He simply goes up to her, helps her up, and that's it. The fever is relieved, it's gone. Do you notice the disciples didn't have to do anything to make that happen? There's no mention of anything Simon's mother-in-law did either. We're not told that she was healed because her faith happened to be strong enough. No, this healing absolutely depends on Jesus alone. The one who is full of compassion. The one whose personal touch restores Simon's ill mother-in-law to health. And the response to this healing is that she waits on them. So remember that Simon Peter is, is the main eyewitness source for Mark's gospel. And so you can imagine him retelling this story. It's a personal one, isn't it? Of, of how the Lord Jesus touched his family. So you can almost hear him saying in verse 31, the fever left her and she began to wait on them. Oh, Mark, she was completely fine. It was amazing. She was full of energy and she insisted on making us a meal and it was cracking as usual. You can imagine him saying something like that to Mark years later as he sat down to retell the events of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Simon's mother-in-law was healed and she waited on them or she attended them or she served them. The same word as when the angels attended to Jesus during his testing in the wilderness. More striking perhaps is that the phrase to wait on is the same word translated to serve. In Mark 10 verse 45 when Jesus tells us that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve us and so service is, is the way of Jesus. Serving is not for the few or for those that we relegate to a lower position than we see ourselves. No, serving is the way of Jesus. And so that means service is a key characteristic of being a follower of him. It's a key aspect of the kingdom of God that Jesus is here introducing into the world and setting an example for us. And isn't that what we're seeing here? Simon's mother-in-law is healed. Don't know anything about her. We're not told her name here. But we do know how she responds to the compassionate touch of the Lord Jesus Christ upon her life. The proper response of anyone who has been touched by Jesus, who has known their life to be transformed by him in his compassion, is to serve him by serving others. That is what it is to imitate the mission and follow the example of Jesus Christ himself. And so I wonder, brothers and sisters, are, are you doing that this morning? Is your response to the compassionate touch of Jesus in your life one of service? One of giving of yourself to others? Not simply looking after yourself or limiting it to your family or just to those that you get on with, but serving all. And by that we can say serving all in this fellowship. 
Is your response to the compassion of Jesus that you have come to know by grace alone that Jesus is now your Lord and your Saviour in his great compassion that he saved you from your sins? Is your response to that one of service and other-centred thinking? Or is your faith a private thing? Something for me and nobody else? That's not how the Bible views faith in Christ because that's not how Jesus lived that's not how he served and as his followers we're called to follow in his steps Jesus is full of compassion and we must respond rightly to it and as we go on here we see how the compassion that Jesus had shown to Simon's mother-in-law is now known and experienced by the large crowd gathering at their door After the Sabbath is done, the sun goes down, people begin to gather at Simon and Andrew's house. Probably wasn't much time for a a snooze after the meal that day. You can imagine that it's not taken long for news to really get around of what Jesus had done in the synagogue. Even that Simon's mother-in-law, she's better now, she's over that fever. She's up and about. And if you were there in the issues and you had loved ones who were ill, well, what would you have done? I'm sure you'd have been there in the crowds as well. You'd have been wanting Jesus to to heal them. It's probably a sense of of desperation as the crowd is gathering. Here is their chance to be well, whether they're sick, whether they're demon-possessed. And the door of Jesus' power and compassion is open to them. And there is nothing too hard for him to deal with. There's no sickness that is too strong. There's no demon that is too powerful. As Mark tells us that Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. Such is the divine power. Such is the compassionate touch. Such is his immense authority as we considered last time. That Jesus brings healing. He brings restoration to many in Capernaum that day. So surely we see here something of the priority of compassion in the life of Jesus Christ. He wasn't unconcerned for the very real physical needs of the crowd gathered at the front door. He took great interest in them. He cared deeply for them. And he made sure that each one was healed of their sickness, that each one was free of any demonic influence in their life. Jesus cares deeply about these things. We can't read these verses and say that he wasn't concerned for them. And as his followers, that means we must be concerned for them as well. We must not overlook the very real physical needs that those around us have. We must not downplay the reality of of sickness of various kinds, or poverty, or of those who socially are seen as being on the edges. The scriptures are full of commands to to care for the poor, to seek justice for the oppressed, to make sure that the people of God are always looking out for and are on the side of those who are without or have little. I wonder if you share the priority of compassion that Jesus has. The wisdom of Proverbs 31 verse 9 tells us to speak up, to judge fairly, 
to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Or Psalm 113, verse 7. We read the psalmist declare that God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And then in the New Testament, James writes in the final verse of chapter 1, that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The priority of compassion is a very real one. And there James says that truly following Jesus involves practical evidence of what that involves, seeking how we can care for the needy, growing grace and holiness, that we might not ever do anything to impress others or to somehow think we can gain greater favour with God. Now, what that looks like for each of us varies, but what I'm saying to you is this, is that if showing compassion to people who were in physical need was a priority for Jesus, then surely it should be a priority for us as individuals and as a church. It was a priority in church history for many, like John Knox of Scotland. He made provision for the widow, for the fatherless. There were reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin, They gave significant attention to what we might call social ministry. George Muller, he set up orphanages in Bristol. Uh, William Wilberforce in his campaign against slavery. Uh, Those in the Victorian era like Spurgeon, they set up schools, almshouses. Lord Shaftesbury reformed the rights for factory workers and poor children. Uh, William Booth had ministries to prostitutes, alcoholics and orphans. They all did so much good. For those in real need, and they understood it to be their God-given responsibility. That's only a flavour, but none of those people were what we might call liberal people. They were biblical people. They didn't preach a social gospel. They preached a biblical one. And they were committed to biblical truth. And it moved them to compassion and care for the needy. So I'm saying that we're missing a vital aspect of biblical Christianity. If we say we don't need to do that, there's more to Jesus' priorities than this, as we will see, but certainly not less. And with that in mind, there's still an important detail for us at the end of verse 34. For though Jesus willingly and ably heals and drives out demons, we read there, he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Isn't that strange? Why would Jesus command these demons to be silent about who he is? Wouldn't it serve his uh, purposes if people did know? Well, we saw last time at the synagogue in Capernaum that Jesus commanded an impure spirit to be quiet as it rightly recognised Jesus for who he is. And there are probably a few reasons for that. One simply being that the common ideas of what it meant to to be the Messiah at the time, it would have been to do with military might, political rule. Jesus didn't have interest in that. He didn't want that to be the focus on him. But there's also the thought that as Jesus fulfills the role of the suffering servant of Isaiah, he's defined by his restraint and humility. Authority and power is hidden. Jesus knows that any human heart is, is changed Not by coercion or him doing a miracle, but through humble faith. In one who, humanly speaking, looked no different to anyone else. 
But maybe most pressingly for Mark's purposes, as he continues to show us Jesus, is that until the work of Jesus is accomplished on the cross, we cannot know fully who he is. It's only at the cross. It's only uh, in the confession of the Roman centurion there at the foot of the cross that surely this man was the Son of God, that we can fully know who Jesus is. Because the cross is the very pinnacle of his work. And we're not yet at that point. And so for a demon to announce who Jesus is, is something he, he totally rejects. For it is something not to be demonically revealed, but to be divinely revealed. For recognizing who he is isn't, isn't enough. We, we've got to see who he is, but then we've got to decide to love him and to follow him and to trust him. And that leads us secondly onto our, our second point this morning, leads us nicely there as we consider the, the priority of Jesus, that, that we too might have the same priority as him. Because having seen the priority of compassion, secondly now I want us to see the greater priority of prayer and preaching. The greater priority of, of prayer and preaching in verses 35 to 39, where we see the, the ministry of Jesus continue on in, in his terms. In his way, not on, on the terms or in the ways of demons. Jesus will reveal himself for who he is. You can imagine the scene as the, the final few in the crowd begin to make their way home. Probably after hours of waiting to see Jesus. It had been a long day and surely Jesus deserves a rest. But Jesus has other priorities. Mark tells us in verse 35... Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus goes out to pray on his own. This is really important. This is going on in the context of opposition. He's faced many demons that day. He has shown authority over them, over, over the teachers of the law in Capernaum. Uh, there's been a, a great hurricane of activity going on in this, in this day. And yet Jesus prioritizes a moment of stillness and quiet in prayer with God the Father. Prayer was a priority for Jesus. I wonder, is it a priority for you? Do you pray? In the early days of his earthly ministry, we're seeing the priority of prayer that Jesus has. And the reason for this is put well by one writer. The work of the Son of God is both an inward and an outward work. Jesus cannot extend himself outward in compassion without first attending to the source of his ministry and purpose with the Father. And conversely, his oneness with the Father compels him outward in mission. In other words, the great significance of Jesus' ministry is found not only in what he does in his healing and driving out of demons, but equally in who, who he is. He's not a social activist, he's not a philosopher, but the Son of God, whose very ministry comes from the real, living, dynamic relationship he has with the Father, one in being and purpose and will. So we're seeing, aren't we, that Jesus has got a different priority to that of those first disciples. After what was almost certainly the most memorable day in the life of Capernaum that anybody could remember, the disciples want more of the same. They want more. They want an encore. But Jesus sees things differently. He goes out on his own to pray. 
Jesus has got something to do, and he knows that he cannot do it without praying. He takes the time to pray alone. But the disciples, they don't seem to grasp where he's coming from. When they wake up, Jesus is gone, and so they go out to look for him. In the original language, it sounds more like they hunted for Jesus. They couldn't find him in the town. He was out in a solitary place, and they pursue him until they find him, exclaiming, everyone is looking for you. Which might sound positive, but let's not confuse enthusiasm for faith. The large numbers of a crowd aren't signs of success. They are looking for him in the original language. It suggests that they were trying more to control what Jesus was doing rather than submitting to him and following him. And that's because they want Jesus to make hay while the sun shines. They want him to make the most of this newfound fame that he's got as a healer and a miracle worker. But how does Jesus respond to this? Take a look at verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So here then is why Jesus has come. What is the focus of his ministry? Why in his words has he come? So that I can preach. So that I can preach. Jesus has come with a priority of preaching. His ministry is one which focuses on declaring that the good news to the lost humanity that is found alone in him. You might be a little bit surprised at this response, given how well things had gone in Capernaum that day. But we shouldn't really be surprised by this, because it's what we saw back in verse 14 and 15, wasn't it? The first public thing Jesus does is proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So here's the priority of Jesus, to preach. Jesus isn't going to go back over the old ground of yesterday. There's new ground today for him to cover. He moves on from Capernaum. There are lots of other places that need to hear the good news that is found in him. And he knows that for his ministry to continue with the focus that's needed, he must leave the excited crowds in Capernaum who haven't yet grasped who Jesus is. And that's because, as one writer bluntly puts it, Jesus is not here to put on a show or simply give people what they want, a bit of free health care, a few problems straightened out, a flurry of excitement. He is here to preach the kingdom of God. The priority of Jesus is to preach the gospel, not primarily to bring physical healing, though Jesus is willing and he is able and he compassionately does do that, but spiritual healing through his message of repentance and faith in him is the great priority. And friends, this is our great priority this morning. Our greatest problem is that of our sin and our need to know forgiveness. And Jesus has come to deal with that desperate need. And as much as physical illness and physical disease are real and they are a sign of the brokenness of our world, when Jesus came... He came with the focus and the priority because he knew that we desperately needed most of all the forgiveness of sins, being reconciled to God, not any longer standing under the just condemnation that our sins deserve, but safe in the knowledge that our eternal future is secure in him. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching 
in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus continues on in his ministry of preaching. He had come to preach and this is what he would do. He would continue to have compassion on those he met. He would drive out demons. He would heal the sick. That wasn't insignificant. But the greater priority for Jesus was one where the glory of God was declared in the coming of the Son of God and any healings demonstrated his great authority. All the healings, all the driving out of demons, it's impressive and they are dramatic, aren't they? But these things at this early stage of Mark's gospel, they are are merely signs that the kingdom of God really is near in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that evil was being driven out, that Satan would not win, and that broken humanity would be restored. They were signs that were pointing to something greater. Now, when you drive somewhere on holiday, you don't pull over when you get to the edge of the town or the city to where you're going that says, welcome to such and such, do you? That wouldn't be much of a holiday. When uh, I studied in Aberystwyth, it it would have been craziness to pull up outside the town by the sign that says a few miles to go until you get there and to stand and to admire that sign and yet never reach the the beautiful prom in Aberystwyth. No, you would have seen the sign pointing you in the direction and you would have followed it and you would have gone and you would have enjoyed your chips and ice cream there because that's all we ever did as students. And here in our passage this morning, we're seeing the the priority of Jesus. And Jesus says, don't look at the signs, but look at me. Hear what I say. Look at what those signs, which are real and valid, but look at what they are looking to. Look at what they're pointing to. To the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the good news for this world. And this is why these verses are so important for us as a fellowship, because many people get very confused about what should be the priority of the church. For some, Jesus is a kind of social helper, and the church is here to be a nice club for decent people. For others, Jesus is some kind of divine therapist who is just here to help solve your problems, a free health service of sorts. And this self-help outlook, it's all a part of, of the spirit of the day and I'm not saying that healing doesn't happen today and neither am I denying the presence of the demonic and that they can't be driven out in the name of Jesus and if you've known anything like that yourself uh, you know it's not a small thing it's it's very significant but even then that is not the be all and end all that is not the end for here we have seen that even when Jesus healed a huge crowd in Capernaum that was not the main point This one writer bluntly says again, Jesus is not our passport to health, wealth, and an easy life. The Jesus of the Bible, the true Jesus, he came to preach. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God. That would begin with a cross where the King of kings and the Lord of lords would would give his own life for his people. The place where a new life can begin and by which a new pattern for the whole of life is set. Again, a writer who's helped me this week says that when we accept Jesus Christ, we don't take him on as our therapist. We bow to his mastery and then set out to follow him as Lord and King. The first step is not to queue up to have our aches and pains fixed, but to repent. 
And friends, first and foremost, that is what we must make sure that we have all done this morning. You must come to Jesus in repentance and in faith for the forgiveness of sins. And if you've done that, friend, if you've done that, if you've repented of your sins, do you realize that your greatest need is not being free from the problems of this world, 